Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, you know what time it is. It's time for Draft Dudes. Welcome to the start of the NFC West edition of the podcast. I'm Kyle Krabs at Grinding Tape. I am uh, going to use some self-restraint and some judgment here. Been sparring with Giants fans on Twitter for about three consecutive days now. Honestly, having nothing to do with the talent level of Daniel Jones. But uh, um, I made this passive-aggressive comment at the Giants' Twitter account because they made a highlight video of Daniel Jones throwing dump-offs in the flats with the comment that Daniel Jones was dropping dimes and uh, had nothing to do with Daniel Jones' talent level. I think there's a pathway for Daniel Jones to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I don't think his ceiling's very high. I think they overdrafted him based on the need, and I thought that was a little hypocritical after you know the justification of Saquon Barkley being the pick last year just based on he was the best player on the board. Giants fans have taken this very personally and turned this into a personal attack on Daniel Jones because they're so insecure about the pick. I'm sorry, guys. I really, truly am. But you don't have to sit here and tell me that I'm a nobody and my career's over because <laughs> it was about the video. It wasn't about the player. And so uh, I will not be doing the NFC East by myself because my timeline's bad enough as it is. We're going to talk about the NFC West. And today we're going to talk about the uh, the two cellar dwellers in the NFC West from 2018, the San Francisco 49ers and the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I actually wrote up today uh, my recap of the 49ers draft with my, my pick for their best pick, their worst pick, and uh, my favorite day three pick that they made. So we're going to start with the 49ers, uh, look at the selections that they made. They had eight total picks in this year's class, Nick Bosa at two. Debo Samuel at 36, Jalen Hurd at 67, Mitch Wisnowski, the punter from Utah at 110, linebacker Dre Greenlaw from Arkansas at 148, Caden Smith at 176, Justin School at 183, and Tim Harris, the corner from Virginia at 198. As I look through this draft class, um, obviously Nick Bosa is the boom, right? plug-and-play type player, you put him on this defensive line, you get into pass rush situations, and you're going to have a defensive line that's D. Ford, Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, and Eric Armstead. What a phenomenal group that has the potential to be up front and and really kind of transform this 49ers pass rush, which has given them uh, some problems over the course of the last couple years. Uh, The Solomon Thomas pick not, not materializing the way they would have liked to have seen it, and they were shopping him before the draft reportedly. And Well, they got it figured out now with, with D. Ford and Nick Bosa. That's a really exciting pairing, and, and I love the fit. It's appropriate value for the pick, so kudos uh, to San Francisco for making the easy decision because sometimes the easy decisions can be hard ones to make too. You know, you want to sit here and overthink a bit, think it or, or point to 
uh, Nick's history or this was plain and simple a perfect pick. Debo Samuel at 36. Uh, he was my 38th rated player on my personal board. So this again falls right in line. And this has kind of been the trend and the theme that you've seen with San Francisco. San Francisco's done well with their early picks. Obviously, the um the Reuben Foster situation is kind of out of their control. And and we already talked about Solomon Thomas briefly. But by and large, San Francisco's early picks, even before John Lynch. Like they'll get production out of their early picks. It's what do you do with the rest of your draft class? So to come away with your top two picks at two and thirty-six with my third and thirty-eighth rated players, you're falling right in line. You know, San Francisco. This is right in line with what I would have expected to see. Now the question with San Francisco is, what do you do with the later picks? So at sixty-seven, they drafted Jalen Hurd, wide receiver from Baylor. He was my hundred eighty-seventh rated player. There's a ceiling here that I think needs to be accounted for, and that's why I'm not going to hammer this pick. But I did think it was curious because Hurd's a guy that projects favorably to the slot, has a big slot. But San Francisco just drafted Debo Samuel playing the slot. Dante Pettis is a a guy that can play the slot. Trent Taylor in the slot. Uh, You kind of go through the two deep in San Francisco, and they got a lot of receivers who are probably going to thrive in the middle of the field. And then you also have George Kittle as a big body in the middle of the field. So... The herd pick at 67 I thought was a little early, even with his ceiling. Uh, but I made a mention when I wrote up my recap of this 49ers draft class that uh, I had been told in passing that there was a team somewhere in the first half of the third round that really, really liked Jalen Hurd. And that team subsequently traded out of their pick after Hurd went to San Francisco at 67. So that's something that I look at and... Um, I'm kind of curious if that intel was correct, and this was just a case for San Francisco of go get your guy. And if you want to go get your guy, that's fine. No time will tell if it's right or wrong. It wouldn't have been my guy at that spot, but time will tell. I uh, I had to laugh. I'm digging through uh, John Lynch's bio to do this write-up to make sure that I'm accurate on Wikipedia, and um, somebody had put drafted a punter in the fourth round in John Lynch's career accomplishments, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, I, I understand that there's a stigma with with specialists, right? And 110, like that's super early. I don't have a problem with it, to be honest with you. I really don't. Um, Wisnowski at 110. Punters are a real thing. And punters are people too, that's a saying, but it's also like legit. You think about some of the punters in this division, and field position is a very real part of the battle. So if you're rolling in with a UDFA punter or a guy that can't consistently get the ball down inside the 20 where you want it, you're going to be handcuffed strategically. So I don't mind this pick at all for San Francisco. When I look at the rest of the draft, the only pick I can honestly say that I like is Tim Harris at 198. He was my 125th rated player. So Tim Harris was on the Van Wilder plan at uh, Virginia. Six years of eligibility, shoulder issues that impacted two of his six seasons there, and a broken wrist uh, at the beginning of another season. So durability is a major concern for Tim Harris. He's super explosive and he's super physical. Uh, that was the, Virginia had a very talented defensive backfield. I don't know if people realize this. Bryce Hall next year is probably going to be cornerback one 
or at least he will be going into the season. Juan Thornhill is top 70 pick. And uh, Tim Harris is also very physically gifted. Ran 4.44 in his 40-yard dash, 39-inch uh, vert, and a 11-foot, 7-inch standing broad. Just monster numbers for explosiveness. And um, I think if you take him from a raw talent perspective, he's probably the third most talented corner on the 49ers roster behind Richard Sherman and Jason Verrett. Now, health is a huge concern with Verrett. Health is a concern and age is a concern with Richard Sherman. And health is a concern for Tim Harris. So uh, a lot of variables that will go into play for this 49ers defensive backfield that uh, can't be guaranteed. But that is that is the kind of pick that I think is appropriate for you to make as a team. Oh, Caden Smith, I uh, had him 191. He went 176. Like that doesn't really move the needle for me all that much. You, you know exactly what Caden Smith is. He's athletically super limited. Um, a very different player than George Kittle, but he can't block. So you know, a, a selection like that, especially in San Francisco. Uh, I think is going to give you diminishing returns, whereas a guy like Tim Harris, uh, the floor might be lower because of durability, but the ceiling's really high. So I think that's a, a player that I'm really excited about. I'm hoping to see that materialize for them because I was a really big fan of his game. As we switch gears to the Arizona Cardinals, need you guys to bear in mind the Cardinals had a shit ton of picks this year. They had 11 picks, and they used the first overall pick on Kyler Murray. They used the 33rd overall pick on Byron Murphy. They used the 62nd pick on Andy Isabella, 65 on Zach Allen, 103 on Hakeem Butler, and 139 on Deontay Thompson. That group right there, with the exception of Byron Murphy jumping from 33 to to 1, you can take every single one of those guys and push them up a slot, and I feel like the value would have been appropriate. Uh, Andy Isabella... I had ranked 73rd, so him going 62, I think, is pretty effective. But if somebody would have told me, hey, Andy Isabella ended up going in the early second round, I wouldn't have been surprised. I wouldn't have loved it, but I wouldn't have been surprised. If you told me Zach Allen's going at 62 instead of 65, yeah. Obviously, I had Zach Allen 81st on my personal board. Uh, Hakeem Butler was my 44th rated player, and he went 103. Deontay Thompson, 59th rated player, went 139. Byron Murphy, I had 14th, so he actually, you know, at 33 is a plus value as well. Kyler Murray, I had rated 30th, but I'm not factoring for positional value, like the the Cardinals obviously did. Uh, so this is this is a really exciting core group of six players for the Arizona Cardinals, a team that needed an infusion of talent, and every single pick in their top six picks over half of their draft class. I really like. So I think that needs to be counted right off the bat as, as part of a win for San Francisco, or I'm sorry, for Arizona. Uh, I like the fit of the players in the scheme, too. I think that's something that can be pretty easily overlooked. Uh, Kyler Murray in Cliff Kingsbury's offense, Andy Isabella as a guy in the slot, Hakeem Butler as a vertical type receiver in this spread wide-open passing offense. Larry Fitzgerald's still hanging around in the slot. We got Christian Kirk, potential slot guy. You can go four wide in Arizona right now with Kyler Murray 
Go David Johnson is the back in the backfield. You want to go uh, offset gun. And then your receivers, you can run out. Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk. You got speed, man. You get a lot of speed on offense with that group. And then obviously, Larry's super savvy at this point in his career. Um, if I'm Arizona, I'm running as many three and four wide receiver sets as possible. That's where your talent level is. You don't have a lot of talent in the tight end position. But what I thought was interesting about this, this Cardinals draft class is they didn't address the offensive line until pick 179. They took two offensive linemen, two interior offensive linemen, and Lamont Galliard from Georgia and Joshua Miles from Morgan State. I think Geyer can start at center. Then you can push Mason Cole if you need to get him into a guard spot if you want to try and upgrade a spot there. Uh, Cole can't snap. And that uh, that's something that was evident. You think back to the Senior Bowl last year in 2018, uh, his snaps were going behind uh, left guard. <laughs> and he's lined up at center, and, and everything's two or three yards to the left. So um, the chance to get a solid but unspectacular center in Lamont, uh, I really like. I think Miles is a bit more of a project, so I was surprised to see that the Cardinals didn't look for more ready-made offensive linemen in this class, especially with the talent that was in this year's class. But I think they look at the skill players and they say, look, like if we got a mobile quarterback in Kyler Murray, we can kind of manufacture some favorable looks by either you know letting him operate within the pocket, get outside the pocket, but we really just need to get the skill players to make this thing tick because right now it's Larry Fitzgerald, Chad Williams, Christian Kirk, Kevin White, uh, Demir Bird, Trent Sherfield, Jalen Tolliver, Farrow Cooper. Like That's not going to cut it. So to bring in three wide receivers, they also brought in Keyshawn Johnson in the sixth round from Fresno State. Um, I get the thought process. I understand it. I know why they went that way. Uh, was I surprised? Yeah. This team's also been really active in free agency, too. Uh, they signed Charles Clay and Max Williams at the tight end position, uh, trying to kind of kickstart uh, this team. Jordan Hicks on the defensive side of the football. Um, so... I like a lot of what Arizona has done. They've been very aggressive. They've been looking to pump appropriate scheme fits into this offense uh, while also spending, not being afraid to spend, and bringing in mass bodies as far as big turnover to try and breathe life into both sides of the football. So uh, rounding out their draft class, uh, I stopped at Deontay Thompson. I mentioned briefly Keyshawn Johnson, uh, Lamont Gallier, Joshua Miles. They had two two more seventh-round picks in Michael Dogby and Caleb Wilson. Dogby is a bit of a tweener. I think he's in a pretty attractive situation in Arizona, to be honest with you. The, they kind of uh, – you, you think about the other names that they have there along the defensive line, uh, Robert Kimdiche being one specifically. Uh, Dogby's – lighter than Kimdiche, but like still a kind of in-between defensive end, defensive tackle, quick first step. Um, I, I think he has a potential to push just based on his athleticism to lock latch onto that roster, maybe as a practice squad guy and, and maybe down the road they can develop some of his skills because he's got a nice first step, but I don't think he he holds up very well at the line of scrimmage. So a little bit of work and development to be done there. And then Caleb Wilson, like 
I don't know where in the hell Caleb Wilson found this 4-5 flat 40 that he ran, uh, but it makes sense why uh, with that kind of testing speed, Arizona, uh, with the spacing issues that they're trying to manufacture, would draft him as Mr. Irrelevant. Um, I just didn't think Caleb Wilson played with anywhere near that kind of uh, functional athleticism at the college level the way that he did uh, show or suggest with his testing and the rest of his testing was bad like really bad so I look at both of these classes and uh, I've kind of been talking openly over the course of the last couple of days here on the show how one of the things that I've been trying to do is quantify uh, the return on investment for draft capital based on the trade value chart and my personal rankings and assessments of these players so As I look at Arizona specifically, they had 11 picks. They were actually one of the teams that brought in uh, the highest total return as far as uh, plus plus value versus the draft value chart and points. Uh, They're the fourth highest team in the league versus my own assessments with the talent that they brought in, but they did it over 11 picks. Only one team in the NFL, Minnesota, had more than 11 picks in this year's draft class. So when you average it out over the course of 11 picks, they actually finished with the ninth uh, highest scoring draft class versus my own assessments. So this is a top 10 class for me, not necessarily in grading them like on an A through F scale, but how similarly did they draft and target players to my personal assessments? They're one of the 10 closest in the leagues. Number one uh, was the New Orleans Saints, who brought in uh, a greater total sum of return and did it on less than half the picks that the Arizona Cardinals did. So uh, impressive nonetheless for Arizona to walk away. San Francisco, kind of middle of the pack. Uh, they're they're rated, rated 14th as far as this scale of how teams have dra- drafted this year versus my own personal assessment. So right in the middle of the pack, like I said, I don't, I don't have a lot of gripes with the class. I just, there's some things I would have done differently as far as making, trying to make the most of those late day three picks and then what I would have done with that 67th selection. But by and large, I like both of these classes. I like the thought process behind both of these classes. Uh, I would probably favor the Cardinals class, even though I wasn't crazy about the prospect of Kyler Murray being the top pick in the draft. I just think they did a great job the rest of the way down, especially through the fifth round of of just taking you know good football players. And obviously, those are players that I scored highly. So I'm I'm going to prescribe to the idea that they are still foot, good football players, even if they slip down the draft order a little bit. Uh, really excited about the Byron Murphy selection. Really excited about the Zach Allen selection, the Hakeem Butler selection. So uh, tip of the hat to both these teams. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of The Dudes. I got one more for you by myself this week before Joe is back on Monday. We'll probably record Monday show sometime midday on Monday. Joe gets back in on Sunday, so I got to let him sleep in, catch up on his sleep. If you have hot takes for next week's Takes on Takes, please direct them to me on Twitter at Grinding the Tape with the hashtag Takes on Takes. I'm Kyle Krabs. I'll talk to you guys again tomorrow on Friday to talk about the Seahawks and the Rams. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.